Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 6.09 in the Twin Cities. Kind of a muggy 86 degrees. A big day here on CCO Radio, the big Tommy Johnny game. And my goodness, uh, the crowds there. I saw Eric Nelson coming out uh, of the building earlier, and he looked um, he looked like he'd been outside in the heat for a long time, which is exactly what had happened. But really, record crowds to see a, a very, very good football game uh, with the Tommies coming out on top. So congratulations to them, but uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, great to be with you on this Saturday evening. Uh, we've got a really great show lined up for you um, coming up. This half hour, we're going to visit with Lisa Schmidt. She is an employment attorney at Mylon Johnson Lewis, and she's helped us out before. The city of Minneapolis has uh, gotten a new sick leave policy, and it's important because even if you don't live in the city of Minneapolis but you work in the city of Minneapolis, this could affect you. And even if you have sick leave – and work in Minneapolis, it could affect you because, for instance, there are rules now that say if you don't use – if you do get sick days, if you're lucky enough to get sick days and you don't use all of them, you'll have to carry over. I believe what the regulation is is at least two. Uh, and this passed you know, a number of months ago, but there was just a ruling from the Minnesota Supreme Court affirming this. Uh, Lisa Schmidt will give us sort of the lowdown on it about what you should be hearing from your employer – what happens if your employer is based, let's say, in St. Cloud, but they have an office here in Minneapolis? It applies to you, for those of you who work in that office in Minneapolis. So uh, we'll go over all the rules. She's really very knowledgeable about that. And then um, at 6.35, uh, we will chat with Audrey Klein. She's the executive director of the Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation's Butler Center for Research. And I wanted to do this and talk about this topic uh, because of two stories I covered for WCCO Television this week. While uh, they are both still under investigation, uh, they are very, very sad stories and they involve apparent uh, underage drinking. Uh, The first story was uh, a very talented young man, uh, Devin Delaney, who was a senior at Burnsville High School, who was visiting friends at North Dakota State University. The cause of death has not been determined. He was only 17 years old, very healthy, uh, standout lacrosse player. Uh, I have talked to students who say other students around him were drinking and they are looking as to whether or not uh, the reason he was found dead the next morning may have – alcohol may have been a factor. We don't know but I think it is important since other kids have told us that others were drinking uh, and underage drinking was going on that night that we should talk about that. The other story is this just horrible story and you heard um, uh, Sloan Martin talk about it at the beginning of the newscast um, in her newscast – uh, Rhea Patel was a young St. Thomas student. She was a sophomore. She was uh, – I'm sorry. She was, she was a junior. She was a business major, successful young woman. Um, she and her boyfriend were out on Saturday night into Sunday morning and by numerous accounts, uh, he was, as according to what one person told the police, super drunk, got in his car and crashed it and she was killed. He fled the scene 
and she was killed uh, apparently almost instantly. But uh, I wanted to talk to Audrey Klein about this because it's obviously something that affects so many people and so many lives are shattered by it. And it's something that, that maybe by talking about it, I mean, I'm a mother, I have teenagers. It's something we, we've got to get our, our hands around because these talented, fabulous kids should not be leaving us in this way. So let's take a quick break. Uh, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock along with Studio Coordinator Kevin Reed. And we'll visit with Lisa Schmidt, who's an employment attorney, about this new policy that really, as I understand it, affects anybody who works in the city of Minneapolis. 617 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, well, as I mentioned before the break, uh, the Minnesota Supreme Court did uphold, as I interpreted, uh, a new city of Minneapolis law on paid sick leave. And it does affect people uh, who work in the city of Minneapolis. It also can affect people uh, who maybe um, have an office here in Minneapolis, but their uh, company might be headquartered in a different city. Lisa Schmidt has helped navigate this uh, for us before, and she is joining us right now. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Esme. All right. First of all, did I do I have it right that the Supreme Court basically upheld this law? You're close. Uh, Close, the, okay. the Minnesota Court of Appeals, so the, okay. the level below the Supreme Court. Um, and yes, right now they upheld the temporary injunction, which says the law can go forward uh, for employers that have a location in Minneapolis, but does ban the law for employers that don't have a uh, location in Minneapolis. So you're right on that part. Okay. So in other words, e- but even if the even if you work for a company that's based in Chicago and they have an office here in Minneapolis. That you, you qualify for this? Yes, that office, that Minneapolis office would be covered by this ordinance. That's okay. Right. And what does this ordinance say? This ordinance requires employers with a location in Minneapolis um, to provide their Minneapolis employees paid sick leave. So they earn an hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours they work in the city. So that would affect part-time employees as well? That's correct. It affects just about everybody, not not contractors, but seasonal employees are covered um, so it's pretty, very broad. And um, how about now St. Paul passed a similar ordinance, didn't they? That's correct. They did, yes. Okay. And that, those are all going into effect on January 1st? No, the sick leave ordinances actually already went into effect on July 1 of this July 1. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, and so, so this just because ensures that it's going to be continue to be in place. Are they planning to appeal it? The Chamber of Commerce, are they planning to appeal to the Minnesota Supreme Court? Uh, that is my understanding. They told the Pioneer Press that uh, okay. last week. So yes, I think okay. so. But right now it's in place. Now let me, another thing that, that, that it, it allows you to do is even if you work in the city of Minneapolis, as I understand it, it allows you, um, if you don't, you, let's say you get six sick days under your current employment policy, or what, what is the max that they've got to provide you with? They've got to provide you with eight, right? And they have to provide you with 48 hours per year. So you allow, they allow, have to allow you to accrue 48 hours a year. So that would be, if you work a regular eight-hour day, that'd be six days. Six full days. Yeah. Okay. And, and if you don't use uh, all six of your sick days, how much can carry over to the next day, next um, year? Next year, everything you can carry over with a cap at 80 hours. Now, employers can make that bigger, but that is the mandate is 80 hours. Okay, so um, so 80 hours, uh, that is um, – I'm so bad at math here. It's about two weeks if you have a regular eight-hour day. Okay. So 10 so, days. So let's say you get eight um, – let's say you get eight sick days right now, um, for example, because um, – 
you know, many people are fortunate enough to get that. So you, you get um, – and you only use uh, two of those sick days. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means you'd have six left. Do all six of those, and you'd get eight the next year. Do all six of those carry over to the next year? They do, yes. Um, accrual can be capped in the next year, though. Let's say if you somehow hit 80 hours, you worked a lot of hours, you, your accrual will stop at, at 48 for the year or 80 total. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so there's a cap each. There's a cap of accrual of 48 hours per year, and then employers also have the ability to say overall the cap is 80 hours total. Oh, okay. So the cap is 80 hours. Correct. Okay. Um, and what happens? I mean, who's enforcing this? Uh, the Minneapolis Department of Civil Rights is the t- entity tasked with that. They also enforce the civil rights laws uh, in the city too. So that's they have multiple tasks now. Are you getting? Is there? It feels like there's a lot of confusion around this. Oh my gosh! Yes, as me, I get a lot of calls about this, and a lot of the calls are from my employers who say, "Hey, I already provide sick leave. I'm good." But then I got to say, "Well, are you doing the right notice?" Are you, you know, requiring, are you allowing them to take time off for uh, um, safe time, which is domestic violence related or uh, stalking uh, related? There's a whole bunch of pieces that people think that they're covered, but they're not because the law is very complicated. All right. And how can people find out about the law and how it affects them? Well, I mean, a simple Google, if you literally Google Minneapolis paid sick leave or St. Paul sick leave, uh, there's a great, there's great websites on both laws at this time. And, and St. Paul's in particular is very good, I would say. Okay. So you can carry over, but the max, is the max you can accrue 80 or is the max you can accrue um, plus 80? It's 48 per year, total overall 80 hours. Oh, okay. And, and that would include the accrual. Correct. Okay. So it's right. a total of 80. Yep. That, that, so you're only that, caring about a balance of, you know, 80 generally. I mean, I guess it, let's say there is a possibility if someone uh, had, uh, they could earn a little bit more in the year, but the, at the end of the year, only 80 hours is carrying over. So it depends on how people, how many people have, how much they've accrued earlier okay. in the year. But, but 80 wouldn't carry over the full 80, let's say use nothing. The, the 80 wouldn't carry over if you were already going to get another um, eight from your employer, would it? If the employer's front-loading, then no, that does not carry over. If the employer's requiring you to accrue it, so every 30 hours you work, you get one, then it does carry over. So it depends on the choice the employer's made there. Oh, okay. So, I mean, theoretically, you could end up with like six plus, let's say you get six, six days and you don't use them all. I mean, it could accrue to a large amount, or is, or is it still capped at 80? Still capped at 80. Oh, so capped, you front, okay. I'll, I'll talk about front-loading for a second, just to be clear. If you front-load, the employer the first year had to give 48 hours, and then every year after that, you have to give the full 80. So then it's, just, it's no accrual. You just get the 80. At the end of the year, it all goes away, and you start over on January 1 again with a new 80. So that's a little bit different. Some employers are doing that. It's a little cleaner. There's some risk there because my employee could just bail after using all 80 hours and be gone, and now I've had that loss. But. All right. What um, – now, are employers supposed to be noticing employees about what this law is? Yes. Uh, they have to provide – and we've advised them on this – you have to post a poster um, in your workplace, kind of where you put your like minimum wage posters and other, other employment posters. You have to amend your employee handbook to address each law. If you're in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you have to do both. Um, and then you generally have to, if employees ask, you have to provide the information on their pay stubs about their um, how much they've accrued and whatnot, too. So okay. there's multiple notices. And what, what if that's not happening at your workplace? 
if that's not happening at your workplace, hopefully your workplace will call me because I work for the workplace. Okay. But the, the, the individual uh, could call the, um, the relevant state ag- the agency. So, that would, again, that would be the Minneapolis Department of Civil Rights um, or the St. Paul Department of Human Rights, I think, is their title. Okay. So. And so this went into effect July 1st. And is, is it pretty much identical, the St. Paul policy and the Minneapolis policy? They're very close, but there's some differences. So Minneapolis exempts very small employers um, with less than six people um, from having to provide paid leave. They get to have um, unpaid leave. And then St. Paul um, allowed some smaller employers to have a delayed effective date. So actually small employees, small employers in St. Paul, uh, that means 23 or fewer, don't have to comply until January 1. Um, and then the other thing that's important for employers is that St. Paul allows employees to bring a private lawsuit alleging retaliation claims. Minneapolis does not. That's a big deal to employers because they could face an actual suit versus just an investigation by the, the entities that are uh, tasked with enforcing the law. Okay. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that noticing is going on that much. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that all these employers are up to speed on this. I agree, and they should be. They should be talking to to counsel, or at least using um, the internet to figure out. Hey, what do we have to do here? I mean, the notice part alone is it's fairly simple. It's the poster. It's amending your hand. Right. Sure. Yeah, but they. I agree with you, and I actually worry that there's a lot of employers who may not even be in in compliance yet because they think they think, eh, it doesn't apply to me. And maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. There are some. I mean, you know, state government doesn't have to apply or comply. Excuse me. Um, like I said, temporary, uh, I mean, excuse me, independent contractors don't have to comply. Uh, and then there's an exemption for prevailing wage. That's like a construction industry. But the vast majority of employers should be complying with this. All right. In terms of, you know, the notification and then also the keeping of records, right? Correct. Exactly. Yeah, that's another big thing is like you, your current record keeping practices may not be sufficient to comply with the, the requirements of these laws. And what, what, are, what are these, um, these uh, records require? You have to keep three years' worth of records, and wow. um, that's kind of standard, actually, for pay. Okay. Um, and then they have to note um, how much time's been accrued, how much time's been used, and how much time is left. So that, if, you, if you're not already tracking that stuff, you wouldn't have that. So you'd have a record-keeping violation, potentially. Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess, you know, some employers who, who, who have sick leave, because I think mo- a lot of big ones do, but then don't have the carryover thing that they may not be keeping track of it the right way. Correct. They may not be in compliance because they might not be letting people um, accrue fast enough or they may not be front-loading. You have either of those options, but you have to pick one. Right. And you have to do Um, it right. We're chatting with uh, Lisa Schmidt. She's an attorney at Milan Johnson Lewis about uh, the new policies that are in effect now for both St. Paul and Minneapolis for paid sick leave. I actually talked to somebody who works um, uh, in St. Paul and she told me that the city of St. Paul had sent out notifications um, and, and had gotten them. Um, and then, then the employer had sent out something. I mean, are, are, do you know if, if the city, if both cities are actively, I, I guess they would have a list of all the employers in the city, I would think. Uh, are they actively sending out notices to employers? You know, I, I can't actually speak to that. I suspect they are. I know they're doing, I'm on some of their email lists, and those are pretty active. So I suspect that they're doing some significant outreach efforts. I know Minneapolis put on a little seminar fairly recently, too, saying, come to our seminar, we'll teach you how to be compliant. So right. I think they're trying hard. I'm just not sure if the message is still, you know, hitting home, especially for the smaller employers. who are like, mm, maybe I'll risk it. 
Right. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure and, what. And, and again, the size here because it, it involves just about everybody. Correct. Even like Minneapolis, it, it is everybody. The only difference is, is whether or not you have to pay or not, and that's a very small threshold. And what's um, the same, threshold again? Uh, uh, less than six employees, so pretty small employers. I mean, there's a good number of those out there, but still, uh, the vast majority of employers in Minneapolis are covered. So, so if you have like less than six employees, do you still have to give sick leave, but not you don't have to pay? That's correct. Yeah. So you have to okay. do everything else. You just don't have to pay it. Okay, but you still have to give, and that's that's a big deal. I mean, that's a big difference. That, they have that is a big difference, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and it's still pretty administratively burdensome, though, especially for a small employer. Then they have to do the notice and all that stuff still, too. So. Okay. And in terms of um, you know the appeal to the Minnesota Supreme Court, I know this all takes time and before they mm-hmm. come out with a decision. I mean, what's the timeline on that? Sure. The chamber has a 30 days to actually do like, to file their, it's called a petition, I believe. And then the, the court can choose whether or not it's going to actually accept the, the, hearing, uh, the, the appeal. And if it doesn't, then it goes, bounces back to litigation at the, at the Hennepin County Court. If it does, then it starts to drag out even longer, a couple months at least, um, after it hits the Supreme Court. And even that, I'll tell you this, as me, it's interesting. The Supreme Court may not be the last word. They could simply say, we're going to uphold the lower opinion, which just means that all goes back to the court for more litigation. Oh wow! So, okay. <laughs> yeah, we we have a, we potentially ha- have a long road ahead of us. Wow. It depends okay. on what the chamber and the city decide to do. Okay. But, but yeah. it, it could be a lot lo- lot longer in litigation. Okay. And and you you represent employers, so if employers have questions and they're listening to this, they they could call you. Absolutely, I hope okay. they do. Okay, um, well, it's Lisa Schmidt. She's an attorney for Milan Johnson-Lewis. Thank you so much. I mean, this still is, I know I've talked to you about it several times. It's still kind of confusing. I uh, agree. I try, I'm trying to make it more clear. I hope it's, I'm hoping. Well, I, I just, but, but what you said, you know, the domestic assault and, and yeah. all of those things. And Minnesota already does have a law, and I don't know if people know that, is that they can take their paid sick leave even for not just a child, but, um, you know, a spouse or an in-law or a parent. Yep. Which is, which is, you know, relatively new, but I'm not sure everybody gets that as well. So, right. Sick leave, if you have a sick time policy, you have to provide it. It's a much broader than just the person themselves. And, and also for, for part-time employees as well. All right. Well, listen, Lisa Schmidt, thank you so much. You're always great on this issue. We oh, certainly really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay. That's Lisa Schmidt with uh, Mylan Johnson and Lewis. Uh, interesting stuff. Obviously going to affect a lot of people. I'm not sure those notices are getting out uh, appropriately. All right, folks, we are going to take uh, a break. We'll give you some weather. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about a story that's uh, a tough one. It's been in the news, uh, and it's about young people binge drinking and the consequences. Uh, We'll visit with uh, Audrey Klein, the executive director of Hazleton. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is uh, 6.35 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, binge drinking and young people, uh, spe- specifically because I of two stories I covered this week. In the first case, uh, it's not confirmed. I did talk to friends of a young man, uh, Devin Delaney, who was 17 when he passed away. He was visiting North Dakota State University. Um, a number of his friends um, and some who – one who was there, one who was not there, said that a lot of kids around him were drinking. He was found the next morning after going to a concert, very healthy kid. Um, he was found dead. So they are looking at that. But it's a tragedy. He was 17 years old, extremely smart, excellent student, uh, talented lacrosse player. Uh, the very next day, I covered the uh, 
follow-up to the story of the death of Rhea Patel, a 20-year-old St. Thomas student. Uh, she was with her boyfriend, who uh, in court documents they've described him as being super drunk. He drove the car, crashed it in Minneapolis, uh, and basically left her for dead, um, running away. Uh, and has been arrested and charged. Uh, Audrey Klein is the executive director of the Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation's Butler Center for Research. I want to thank you for your time this evening. Thank you, Esme, for having me. All right. Well, thank you. L- let me ask you what, why, um, we, we know that, that many people have trouble with, you know, excessive drinking or drinking and driving, but w- how big a problem is binge drinking? Binge drinking to the point where, um, you could die or, sustain this kind of a catastrophic car crash? Unfortunately, as may binge drinking is extremely common. Um, it has trended downward over the last several years. Um, and we think that the reason for that is that people have intensified education and prevention efforts uh, in terms of trying to really teach adolescents and young adults about the danger of alcohol use. So we have seen a slight decrease over time. Unfortunately, about 50% of adolescents and young adults binge drink on a regular basis. And the, the typical standard definition for that is for, for young women, it's four drinks in a sitting, which is typically over two to three hours. For young men, it's five drinks. And it's incredibly common in that population overall, but it's particularly common on college campuses. The other thing, Esme, that's extremely alarming and we found in a study that we did with the University of Maryland, about one out of nine young adults, that's about 11% of that population, is doing something that we call high-intensity drinking. That's even more severe than the four to five drinks that I was talking about. So that is drinking at least 10 Um, drinks within a very short time period. So what we're seeing in the media um, and and what we're hearing reports of, the cases that you just talked about, are folks that are doing that very high-intensity drinking, and it's extremely dangerous um, for a number of reasons, but particularly in terms of its effects on the body. Um, what happens is the blood alcohol level gets very extremely high in a very short period of time, and that can cause things like respiratory depression and death. So it, it so, is so people stop. Serious. People literally stop. Yes. So alcohol is a depressant similar to opioids. It it just depresses the brain. It it down-regulates the nervous system. And if a a young person consumes a very large amount of alcohol in a short period of time, the heart and the lungs and the brain actually shut down. Um, And uh, if that doesn't happen, there's other effects such as, as accidents and because people lose cognitive ability and the frontal lobes, which are responsible for judgment and decision-making and even memory, those areas begin to shut down as well. 
and people can engage in very dangerous behaviors um, like driving, risky sex, even physical accidents we see at times. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the young woman in Rosemont, Illinois, a couple of weeks ago, actually locked herself in a freezer in a <gasps> hotel accidentally and froze to death. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and oh. she had been engaging in this high-intensity drinking. So. Oh. I really appreciate you having me on, Esme, because one thing that Hazel and Betty Ford is really focusing on is really trying to educate people, both young people and parents and people that are important in, in their lives, such as school administrators, about these issues to try and prevent these these tragedies. All right. And so this is something, I, and I'd never heard that term before. Uh, we're chatting with Audrey Klein, the executive director of Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation's Butler Center for Research. And I said that I want to talk about binge drinking. You describe binge drinking, uh, I believe, four drinks over a couple of hours for uh, a woman, uh, five for a man, but then you talked about this. Is it 11% of, is it young people who engage it's in this? young adults. Young adults. And, yeah. And, and what, yeah. what is the definition of a young adult? Um, it varies across studies, but it's typically 18 to 23 or 24 years old. So, so these are people that are late teens and early 20s, and the research that we did with the University of Maryland, um, which was a, a fairly representative sample of young adults across the country, we found roughly 11% were engaging in this high-intensity drinking, which, again, is so much more and, and what, than... What, how much, like when you say high, I mean, how quickly and how much are we talking about? I'm sure there are variables here. But. Yes, and, and this you see this happen on college campuses a lot. It's at least 10 drinks that are consumed very rapidly in a very short period of time, so a two- to four-hour period of time. Okay, and are we talking about beer or wine? Are we talking... It varies. It varies. And, and so a, a standard drink is defined differently depending on the type of alcohol you're talking about. Um, in, at college campuses, it's typically beer because what you see a lot is, uh, social, our social functions that have, um, a lot of beer and keg parties and those sorts of things, and drinking games, those sorts of things. Um, but this can be any type of alcohol. It can be shots of, of hard spirits such as whiskey, bourbon, rum, and those types of substances. All right. And, um, and so this is 11%. Now, is that high intensity drinking? Has, has that been around? I mean, I've certainly, I've heard examples of that for years now. I've been doing this a long time. But is that sort of staying the same? Is that increasing? Is that decreasing? Yeah, that's a great question, Esme. We don't have the older historical data as much on high-intensity drinking as we do on binge drinking. So it's hard to say now compared to even a year or five years ago if that's been increasing uh, because we're just now starting to hear reports of it and really study and do research on it. But we're alarmed at the fact that that, that 11% is, is extremely high. I mean, if you had, had asked me before the study, oh, how many young people are really drinking in this way? I would have said under 5%. So that 11% is way over that. 
Um, and we will continue to monitor trends. There's a couple of government organ, or organizations, um, NIAAA is one and SAMHSA is another that do very large surveys of all age groups and they measure their substance use and ask about substance use. Those um, studies will continue to focus on high intensity drinking and monitor those trends over time. And, and is it both boy, young, young men and women who are engaging in this? And Another great question. So uh, young men are much more likely than young women to engage in this high-intensity drinking. So it is seen much more with young men. Um, There are um, quite a few young women that are are also high-intensity drinking. And when you look at binge drinking, um, that gender gap closes a little bit. So you tend to have more young men binge drinking as well, but there are uh, more young women binge drinking. Um, th- but the gender gap isn't as big as you might think with the high intensity. Oh. There are a lot of young women um, that are doing this. And the other thing you might already know, Esme, is that with young women in particular, it's even more devastating because the female body doesn't metabolize alcohol as efficiently as men. So, so it's, it's almost like women get double jeopardy in a way with alcohol abuse because our bodies don't process it as effectively. We experience many um, more severe adverse consequences like liver damage and brain damage. Women are also much more likely than men to get physically and, and emotionally dependent on alcohol and develop an alcohol use disorder for the same level of alcohol consumption. So we really worry about alcohol um alcohol use in young people in general, but women are, young women are particularly vulnerable. All right, we're chatting with uh, Audrey Klein, the Executive Director of Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation's Butler Center for Research. We have to take a quick break. I would like to ask Audrey, though, when we come back, about the kinds of education efforts that are being aimed at young people uh, as to what, if they see somebody in this situation, if they see something, somebody who's passed out, what should they do? There's a law that's actually in place in Minnesota. It's been in place for a few years that allows you know, un- people who are underage to report this without legal consequences. But I'd like to ask her what, what she thinks could be done. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 650, the certified McCarthy's Cadillac, now up to 40% off MSRP. Shop McCarthyAuto.com, McCarthyAuto.com. All right, folks, we are talking with uh, Audrey Klein from Hazelton Betty Ford. Uh, Audrey, wh- what kind, what should parents be telling young people? I mean, obviously you want to tell them don't drink. Yeah. I, I feel, I-, I feel perhaps maybe that's not realistic, but maybe that's, not the right approach, but do you tell them, hey, if you're in this situation and you see somebody who has been drinking and is passed out, you need to call for help? Oh, you absolutely need to call for help. Call 911 without a doubt. Call 911. If you're in some kind of setting where there's an adult around or there's somebody else around that can give medical assistance, 
absolutely uh, get the person medical help. If some, if the person isn't breathing, somebody needs to start CPR. That's all really straightforward. What you said just a minute ago, Esme, about just, you know, parents saying just it's bad to drink, you shouldn't drink. That's just one small step. Parents really have an opportunity to describe for their children exactly how drinking is dangerous. Uh, drinking a lot can be fatal. It can kill you and really defining why it's bad to drink so heavily. Um, trying to break down stigma is another thing that Hazel and Betty Ford tries to teach parents and schools how to do. So talking with the, their, their children in schools, talking with their students about, look, it's okay, you know, to, to have a problem and, and, and to admit that you have a problem. The important thing is, is that you get help. Um, and it's not something that that is a character defect or that it, that makes you a bad person. People get into trouble with alcohol for a number of reasons. The most important thing is to recognize the signs and symptoms of someone who might be drinking too much, focus on the health consequences and the negative impact and how dangerous it is and or how dangerous it is. And as may I would tell parents, tell your children it's not normal. Drink, binge drinking and drinking a ton of drinks in a short period of time isn't normal and not everyone is doing it because young people tend to be very swayed by social pressure and they often have this perception that, oh, well, this isn't a bad thing because everybody around me is doing this, particularly... But you said yourself that at least... Half, I think, was the statistic you use are binge drinking, and you've got this 11% that are doing this even, you know, potentially deadly high intensity drinking. Absolutely. And so if you're surrounded by one or two people that, that engage in this kind of drinking on a regular basis, your tendency is to think, oh, well, this is normal and I can do this too. And my friend does this and, and nothing's happened to him or her. So people that are educating young people need to break that those false perceptions, we call it norms and beliefs about what other people are doing and, and normalizing that, oh, well, this isn't so bad because I know people that are doing this. Right. Um, the schools, most young people, um, adolescents and young adults are in an educational setting. So we, again, the foundation focuses a lot on formally going into schools and educating teachers and guidance counselors and even school administrators about the dangers and, and providing them with actual resources and materials that they can do to coach and teach their students to engage in healthy behaviors. Let me ask you, though, Minnesota has a law that if you are underage, and you are with somebody who has been drinking, they're also underage, and they appear to be completely passed out, you can call 911 and you won't be prosecuted. Yes. Uh, um, is that something that, that has helped at all in terms of reporting these, these you know, potentially tragic situations? And, and do other states have that law? 
That's a great question, Esme, and I don't know the answer in terms of whether that's had an impact. We have every reason to think that it should have an impact. Because I mean, I mean do kids know about the law, I guess, is that? Well, and that's, again, the so the education piece needs to be about that as well. Um, and so there needs to be public service announcements, and we need to be getting this out to people on in TV ads and in the media about, look, you might not know about this law in Minnesota, but it's really important, and don't you shouldn't have any doubt about calling for a friend of yours who needs help. I can't speak to whether or not other states have this type of law. In my opinion, all states should have this law. Because any time that we can get somebody help is important, and you should be incentivizing people to get help, not decentivizing them or making them afraid to do so. Right, and and you know, like we've heard with the opioid epidemic, that the need to get help is, is immediate. It's quick. Time is of the essence. Is that also the case with somebody who is? you know, really has acute alcohol poisoning. It absolutely is. So that is equally dangerous, Esme. If somebody knows that somebody else has been binge drinking or doing this high-intensity drinking and they are non-responsive and passed out, even if they're breathing and they know, okay, this person is alive, that alcohol can very quickly do that depression that I was talking about, that physiological depression in in the body with the, the heart and, and the breathing, that okay. person needs help immediately. Right. Okay. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much. I hope uh, people are listening. I hope the education component of this does increase. That's Audrey Klein, the executive director of Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation's Butler Center for Research. Thank you so much. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 